0: The University of California, Riverside presents Blue, Gold and Black, the podcast that's dedicated to amplifying black voices at UCR. I'm Dominique Bill from UCR's Community Engagement and Outreach Unit. In each episode, we'll be talking to UCR students, campus leaders and community partners to explore the intersection of being black and being a Highlander at UCR. And I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Blue, Gold and Black podcast. My name is Dominique Bill. I am your host. Super excited to be amplifying another Black voice here on campus. Today we have Michelle Burroughs coming to us from the School of Medicine, and she serves as the Deputy Director for the Center of Healthy Communities here at UCR. Uh, Ms. Burroughs, how are you doing today?
1: I'm great, Dominique. How are you? I'm
0: doing well. Super happy. It's a Friday. (laughs) Right, yes. So thank you so much for making the time to be here. I know things have been super, super busy, so we're really excited to have you. Um, So let's just go ahead and jump in, but could you please tell our audience um, a little bit more about what you do here at UCR, please?
1: Okay, so um, like you stated, I'm the Deputy Director for the Center for Healthy Communities at the School of Medicine. And um, what we basically do in the School of Medicine through the center is we do community partner, community-based research. And what that looks like or what that means is I go into the community, I engage the community and talk to them about their health priorities and establish um, an understanding that we want to partner with them on developing um, or improving our health outcomes throughout the Inland Inland Empire communities. And in doing so, we need their help. We need them to lead to... um, help us with our research methodologies to actually tell us, you know, what are their health priorities? What are their health issues that they're dealing with? And how can we partner effectively together to improve the health
0: outcomes? Thank you for uh, sharing that. So, can you kind of talk to us a little bit about why it's so important to make sure that the community that you're serving is actively engaged in the research and the practices that you're trying to develop to improve these health outcomes? Because I think a lot of times there's not a whole lot of collaboration when it comes to certain things, especially like within medicine, right? So How do you begin to approach the community, for one, Um, and then two, how do you guys keep them actively engaged in the work that you're doing to make sure that the outcomes um, are as positive as possible for that community?
1: Well, first, we have to develop a rapport, a relationship with our community members and then um, cultivate trust. You know, they have to trust us. And we have to basically, um, we go out and talk to them because we want to understand what are the barriers to them accessing um, health care or just living a healthy lifestyle in general. You know, there's so many things, so many variables that that come into play. You know, some of our programs are not culturally appropriate. Um, We don't have like recipes. So so like, for example, we're doing diabetes um, management. Well, some of the um, recipes, you know, if you're going to be, living, you know, and managing your diabetes, they're not, unfortunately, they're not culturally appropriate. They actually strip and take out all the wonderful cultural foods that you enjoy eating, right? So we need to um, tailor them in a way that, you know, people are going to use them and actually manage their diabetes. You know, they're going to reduce some of the salt, um, that they're using reduce some of the sugar, you know, that they're putting in some of their their culturally appropriate recipes. You know, we need to ask them what what is keeping you from you know adhering to either what the doctor has said. You know, if you have a particular diagnosis. What is what are the barriers? We need to hear from them instead of making these assumptions. And I think we do that a lot, mm-hmm. especially as you know researchers or educators. We make these grandiose assumptions that. Um, People just don't want to be compliant, right? That they they don't want to be healthy. And I think that's, you know, that's a misnomer. Everyone wants to be healthy. Everyone wants to live a long, healthy lifestyle. But there are definitely barriers. There are definitely issues that prevent people from doing so. So really trying to get into the community, hear um, their concerns, you know, what their issues are and why they're not being maybe compliant to, you know, their treatment, um the treatment that they've been given. So um that's the main point of what we, you know, what we do.
0: Yeah, and you know, I that's obviously super important um when I was in undergrad, I took a cultural psychology class and pretty much the 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 general principle of that entire class was if you want to be able to provide someone, you know, therapy or mental health services, having at least like a small base level understanding of their cultural black black <laughs> cultural background um, really goes a long way in the way that you're able to service them. And like, it was kind of like eye opening to me. But when you kind of sit down with it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's super obvious. Maybe I should know where these people come from, or their language or a little bit about their culture and how their culture's relationship to health actually plays out. So can you also just tell us, because we are a public serving institution, what does it mean to, what like, what does public health actually mean as opposed to just any other sector of the health industry? What is public health supposed to be and how are we trying to carry that out better here at ucr
1: public health basically is serving the public you are here to serve the public Mm -hmm. and to improve upon um their health outcomes whether that means behavior change um, providing opportunities for access to services tailoring programs so that you know the interventions are true interventions that people are going to access and and be healthier on the other side So it truly is just going out there, serving the public. And what people don't realize is, you know, it has public and it has health in the title. We need to engage the public. Only other people can tell you what, you know, what the true issues are and why they are not living a healthy lifestyle. I think everybody knows, you know, oh, you eat your fruits and vegetables, right? You get physical activity, you know, and great, you're going to be healthy. But why aren't people doing that? Why aren't people, you know, eating healthy? Is it because they don't have access? They live in a food desert. They don't have access to nutritional foods. Are they not exercising because they don't have access to public, um, safe public places where they can go out and be active and play? You know, there are so many things that go into being healthy. And I think we just take for granted that if you do those simple things, you know, that's all we hear in the media. You eat it right. You get physical activity or exercise. You'll be healthy. And there's just so many things in between that create, you know, um, barriers for people being able to live healthy.
0: Right. And and I guess that kind of leads into another question, right, is how do we define? Okay, so public health, obviously we're servicing the public, but I think it's important that we define health properly. Right. Because health is your diet. Okay, we could focus just on that. Health is maybe your emotional state or your mental health. We could just focus on that. Um, health could also just be your finances. Can you just afford to be happy, right? Um, so how how do we try to how do we approach that in a more holistic way? Um, is is that what you folks are doing? Um, you know, for the Center of Public Health, is it a more holistic approach, or do you guys specialize in maybe just one key area to try and improve outcomes?
1: No, what she what she basically describes is social determinants of health and yes, we try to go from a holistic approach. Um first, okay, our main thing is health. But what are the what are all the variables that are playing into you not being able to be healthy? Like you said, do you not have access to medical care or medical services? Do you not um, have a safe place to live or, you know, are your um are you not economically stable where you can, you know, financially purchase or buy the food, the healthy foods that, you know, your family needs to be able to, you know, eat healthy? It, it's all of that. It's all of that, that. Like I said, that factors into individuals being healthy. And I think as a society, we just don't realize that we think it's just a very simple, easy, you know, thing that everyone can do. And it's not true. You know, everybody does not have equal or equitable access um, or opportunities to live healthy.
0: And so one of the other things that I think about when we talk about this holistic approach, when we talk about servicing the public, I can't help but feel like there's almost like a, um, almost like a human rights component to the work that you do, right? Because I mean in you know we can find study after study but when people just have a basic standard of living that provides them with dignity or the ability to not worry about certain things that in our society tend to bog the masses of people down um how how much of that do you feel in your work like can you kind of just talk about that human rights aspect of what it is that we're doing? Because I think that's so critical, especially for communities of color. But in particular, black folks, you know, we've uh, the whole issue around humanity with black folks is a broad topic. But let's kind of bring it into this health uh, conversation.
1: No, absolutely. So um, definitely communities of color are dispropor- disproportionately impacted and their health. You know, like, we have the worst health outcomes than anyone, and, and specifically Blacks. Um, black communities have the worst health outcomes out of all ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. And um, just recently, both of our counties, Riverside County and, and San Bernardino County, declared racism as a public health crisis. So that was huge, right? Because there was some acknowledgement that racism plays a, 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 point, a place in you being healthy, it impacts our public's health, right? And that means stress. You know, are we in, are we being impacted by, you know, micro or macro aggressions of stress on our jobs? You know, how are we being treated? A lot of us are essential workers, you know, so now this COVID thing is negatively impacting our ability to be able to go to work or maybe we are going to work, but we're not, you know, um, getting the days off. We don't live in communities where we can, um, easily, um, I guess, be separated where we have to go home, you know, we're, we're working, say we're in a hospital, we're working in a hospital as an essential worker, we have to go home. And oftentimes we have multi-generational individuals living in our home, right? It's not just myself, my husband, my child, you know, there may be an elderly grandparent, um, a cousin or someone. So you can't self-isolate. So then you're, if you're exposed to COVID, then you're bringing that back home to your family members. There are so many, once again, so many, I hate to keep saying this word, but so many variables that come into play. And racism is definitely, definitely one of the major things that comes into play that affects um, the Black community.
0: Absolutely. And I kind of want to put a pin in that conversation because I do want to circle back to racism being labeled a public health crisis and what that kind of means um, contemporarily for black folks, but also from a a historical standpoint. But I want to kind of add some context into the work that you're doing. You are obviously much more than your title in your job um, in the work that you do is made meaningful because of the person that you are. So if you could, like, I want to spend a little bit time about, you know, your 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 background and your history. Could you tell us um, where you grew up and kind of some of the early childhood moments that you had throughout your life that were really pivotal in kind of shaping your development?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Seattle, Washington. Um, you know, the Emerald City is a beautiful place to to grow up, but I grew up in, a sub, in the suburbs. Um, my family moved us out to the suburbs. And so I didn't necessarily live in the city of Seattle. I live north, um, which is nice suburb, you know, with the white picket fence, everything that you can kind of imagine uh, of suburbia. And um, in doing so, you know, my, my family did that so that we would have greater opportunities, me and my brother, and um, live in a, a safe community. Um, but in doing so, I that allowed me to be able to go to um, schools that were predominantly white. Um, there were a few, you know, um, Asians. I guess they were considered minorities, um, sprinkled in. Mm-hmm. But usually, I was the only, you know, person of color either in my entire school or um, in my, you know, my, in my class. So that was an interesting, you know, kind of thing that cultivated and developed me as. Um, you know, as a black woman.
0: Sure. And can you can you talk about that? Because, you know, I, I don't think obviously like it's unique because it's your life experience. But I think like if we can kind of expand that to other folks, I do think that a lot of black people have that same kind of story in terms of, you know, my family was well off one way or another. We lived in a nicer neighborhood if we want to call it or describe it that way um and it's unfortunate because for black folks that tends to mean like the higher you climb it seems like inevitably the society tries to pull you away from your your people um in certain fashions and so what what was it like for you kind of having that experience being one of a handful of black kids at school did you, was it something that was impressed upon you early on or were you able to kind of navigate that space freely as a young child?
1: I'd say um, early I was able to navigate that space freely. Um, I didn't really necessarily think that I was different. And I think in my experience, because at school, yes, I was the only one. But in my, um, you know, my family life, I went to church. I went to predominantly, you know, black church. And um, there was definitely different activities that I was involved in, in the church. So I saw my peers, you know, quite a bit throughout the week, you know, I was in choir, you know, just different things. So I had a lot of opportunities to, um, you know, be engaged with my peers that looked like me. So I didn't really feel like I was missing out of out in anything. And I didn't, Necessarily, I wasn't necessarily treated as being different at the schools. You know, of course, I was different, but um, none of my, my peers at the time um, treated me differently. The first experience I actually had with, I guess you would say, um, overt racism um, is I was in sixth grade and my sixth grade um, history teacher was teaching the class and we were talking about evolution. And he would often, you times, call you know one of us up to help him demonstrate things. And so this particular day, he called me up and asked me to stand up in front of the class, you know. And I was so excited, right, because you know I got to be the teacher's assistant that day and um, you know help him teach on evolution. Had no idea what uh, he was going to do, but you know he asked me to be his assistant, so I gladly jumped up, went up to the front. And I had on long sleeves, he asked me to pull up my sleeves of my um, top. And so I pulled, pulled up my sleeves and he took his little like pointer and he said, you see all the hair on her hands, um, on her arms? Uh, yeah, and then he pointed back to the evolution chart where, you know, it shows an ape forming into a man. He said, this is where her people um, derive from, right. <laughs> can imagine my shock and horror uh, I had no idea it was gonna go in that direction um, I was actually frozen because I, I couldn't believe that this was happening to me you know my some of my classmates were laughing um, some of them I think were in shock and one of my um, classmates that I actually had been in school with since first grade she j- jumped up and grabbed me and pulled me out of the classroom and took me to the office and in tears Described what had just occurred. Um, needless to say, my 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 grandparents and my parents showed up at the school that day. <laughs> and um, long story short, that person, that teacher, no longer um, taught there. Um, shortly thereafter, but you know, it was it was it was the first time that I had, like I said, overtly um, had experienced racism, and then two on top of that, experiencing it from an adult you know, being assaulted by an adult in that way. It was very traumatic. Um, I remember that evening, my family kind of coming together and having a family meeting and talking about what happened and asking me how I felt. Um, And I think it was at that time that I made the decision in my mind that I did not want to go back to that school. Um, I wanted to go to a school um, that was diverse And, you know, um, that was my way of, like, changing my narrative. You know, I thought, oh, okay, this is what this is. I mean, I had heard about it. My parents had talked about it. Of course, they'd come home from work and, you know, share stories and kind of educate me and my brother about, you know, things that we needed to do to kind of protect ourselves and and arm ourselves to be prepared to go out into the world. Um, But, yeah, that
0: was... No, I thank you for for sharing that story i that's nuts um that's nuts and i think in i what's really nuts about it is i think that instances like that whether they happen at school or some other broader aspect of just being out in society not like in your safe community you know where folks look like you behave like you act like you i think that tends to happen. And, you know, that's a very violent thing that takes place. And it tends to happen to young black children a lot, right around the age of, you know, sixth graders, fifth graders. Yeah. Um, And, you know, what is, I guess, one of the great things is that you did have um, a family unit and support system around you to kind of like, bring you in and allow you the space to kind of just process and get what happened out. Um, Because I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of Black children aren't as fortunate. They kind of go through that moment. And because it's the first time that they've ever had to address their Blackness in such a way, it doesn't get talked about or they're too embarrassed or shy or uncomfortable to even bring it up. So I think it's very beneficial that you were able to talk about it. But so taking... Taking that context, right, you're used to going to private schools and now as a sixth grader, you're like something has to be different. Right. I, you, you're, you have this new yearning for something kind of walk us through, I guess, your um, experiences in high school and kind of just how that process from sixth grade began to change you um, and how you acted on that change as you got older.
1: Yeah, I definitely became hypersensitive, you know, um, returning back to the school that was, I guess, kind of the veil was um, lifted from my eyes and I was very conscious about the fact that I was different. And I think all of my um, classmates from that point on, they kind of felt like, oh, they had some way of right to now acknowledge that I was different. So it it really just changed. That day truly changed um, everything for me. And I went back and, you know, people would make comments and then, you know, I started um, dealing with the, oh, you know, can I touch your hair? Um, You know, different, you know, different things like that, that I started to experience. And I want to believe that it all erupted from, you know, that day in um, my, you know, my sixth grade class, but. Yeah, moving forward, I continue to beg (laughs) my parents to let me go to um, public school because I thought the public schools were the, you know, the school that were diverse from some of my friends, you know, that I went to church with. They got to go to public school and they thought it was the best thing, you know, and it just seemed so fun when I would go to some of their games, you know, like, okay, this is like the Mecca, you know, this is the, the, um, this is where I want to be, you know and continued to ask my my family. They finally relented in my junior year and allowed me to go to public school. Um, And uh, the first day there, I got a rude awakening that, you know, the grass is not necessarily greener on the other side. Um, Because, you know, I had grown up and I was used to a certain kind of way of being. So I showed up in my, you know, eyes-awed, buttoned up, um, you know, polo shirt um, with my little sweater over my cardigan sweater and um, my little nice creased uh, pants and, uh, you know, a little penny loafers. And I thought, you know, I was what? You couldn't tell me.
0: You was killing (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so I I definitely stuck out and was very (laughs) (laughs) noticeable on my first day of school. And, you know, I'm running around, hi, you know, introducing myself to everybody, just so excited to be there. And people are looking at me like I am an alien, you know, and these are are my people, you know, other black teenagers are looking at me like, who is this girl and where does Mm -hmm. she come from? So, you know, I quickly... I um, got indoctrinated into um, public health culture and realized that, you know, I needed to dress, move in a certain way. But I have to say, though, Dominique, it was different because the I, um, I don't know, I guess the 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 uh, I don't know how to describe it. The way my peers engaged me, yes, they -hmm. they teased me, you know, they said some things that hurt my feelings, but at the end of the day, it was love. You know, they still accepted me and embraced me, you know, um, even through, you know, like, oh, you're different, you talk different, you walk different, you act different, you dress different, you know, but at the end of the day, I still felt... Um, something that I had never felt, you know, all those years growing up and going to private school. I didn't feel that sense of community. I didn't feel that sense of belonging. Um, and it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful experience.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think that's, one, it's super funny um, because that's like straight out of a, a a teenager comedy type movie, right? You know, the the private school girl comes to public school, and and really, it's just about paying dues. You know what I'm saying? It and that's how and that's how our people are. You know, uh, someone new walks in the room, we're all looking up like. You know this girl over here, like. <laughs> but um, I I do like the fact that you said while it was an adjustment period for you, and you know it it hurt your feelings at times. It was still reinforced with this idea of like these are my people. They, they love me. They care about me. And I'm only getting teased because they care about me, right? And it's a totally different contrast compared to what you were dealing with, you know, let's say in sixth grade and middle school with people wanting to touch your hair, the teachers of all people, like, you know, making you a spectacle. And so being able to kind of be immersed and actually expand your perspective of what it means to be a young black woman at that time, um, I think is really, really dope and really special. So when you get ready to start, when the conversation of college is coming around and it's senior year, um, where did you wanna go to college and how did all of that come about?
1: Oh, that was another, um, uh, I should say, interesting conversation with my family. So (laughs) uh, everybody just assumed that I was gonna go to the University of Washington. You know, great school, right? Great school. I had a full ride to go to the University of Washington, um, so you know it was a no-brainer. Except for me, right. I didn't want to. That was like the the furthest, the last thing that I absolutely wanted to do. My my choice was either Howard or Spelman. Mm. You know, one of them will accept me. And my family, surprisingly, they were like, "No, <laughs> you will not." You know, you think you you. Um, you know, you've matured like you understand the world since you went to public school, but you still have so much to learn. We are not going to allow you to leave the, you know, the comforts, kind of the protective um, you know, you you community do these things. but you just can't Yes, yes. They're like, we're not going to let you leave and go What and now you want to go out of state, you know, first of all, your plea was to go to public school we allowed you to do that, you know, so kind of like come back, you know, right. and, um, I, uh, was, you know, asked to, you know, asked relentlessly to go, they said no. So their, their, um, compromise was to allow me to go to California cause I had family in California and go to another private school in California, um, <laughs> predominantly Caucasian <Yes>. and, um, <laughs> Asian private school in California. So that was their compromise. So you know, I was like, okay, at least I get to get out of Washington, right? And I can kind of live my own life. And you know, once again, I'll find my I'll find my tribe sure. in California. I'm sure there's got to be others. So you know, we'll bind together and I'll find my tribe. Well, I did not. <laughs> I I felt like I was thrust back into literally my elementary years. It was the same you know, it was the same culture, same community. And I, you know, felt a sense of rebellion because I didn't want to revert back. You know, I was like, that's not the person that I am and that I'm growing to be and I don't want to go back there. So, um, fortunately for me, uh, there was some question about their accreditation. So, um, you know, I made a plea and went home, you know, during Christmas or winter break and said, hey, you know, family, I would love to, you know, go to Howard and unbeknownst to them. I applied and did not, um, yeah, <laughs> applied and did not tell them, uh, nice. I applied nice. and got accepted. And when I was told that I couldn't go there, originally I sent in also a letter of deferment for a year. So yeah, I had, I had my plan, um, Because of the accreditation issue, my family were like, yeah, you know, we can't have you going somewhere where there, you know, there's some accreditation issues. So I was able to transfer to Howard and, um, you know, kind of the same thing, but a couple of years later, experienced almost identical, the same experience when I went to a public school, like, okay, who is this girl? Um, but I I can't even tell you above and beyond my expectations, going to HBCU, uh, just being able to be taught by professors that look like you, and not only look like you, but just um, so knowledgeable and respected, you know, worldwide. And the level of concern and support they had for they have for us, you know, is is parallel to none. Like. If you needed any kind of help, they were always available. And I think because they understood, you know, that we have to help each other. And I'm not saying like um, anything that would, you know, be inappropriate. You know, they definitely weren't like letting us do anything we shouldn't do. But just being available to us to, you know, say, I really don't understand this concept. Can you break it down to me? And they would, you know, have office hours, give us their... Um, there, I think oftentimes their home numbers, you know, to say, Yes, call me, I'm available to you. And I just felt so supported and so, um, lifted up in that environment. You know, I really left there feeling like I could do absolutely anything. And I already had that support from my family, but just knowing other people and respecting, you know, their level of intelligence, just, all of the experience that they had and them saying, you can do anything. You can do anything. You're going to go out into this world and you're going to make, you know, a, our Howard proud. You're going to be a Howard alumni and you're going to be proud to tell people whatever industry you go into that, you know, I was cultivated and developed and created, you know, through my experiences at Howard.
0: No, I, I think your story is just so fascinating from that standpoint and just just, the 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 strategic the the strategy that you had to implement to get what you want like mad respect like (laughs) you went got accepted deferred said i'm gonna holler at y'all later and then boom like it just so happened that you know the the university that your your folks wanted for you just had some trouble and that provided the opportunity and you know shout out shout out to the folks for you know finally letting you you know be a a young woman and yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so just as we start getting into um, kind of like your your career pursuits and what brought you to um, UCR, I, I just want to kind of emphasize, I guess, like where um, where where your your black identity kind of stood as you got ready to graduate from Howard, because I think um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that is very influential in the way that you approach your work. Again, adding context um, to the work and to the job that you do. So what 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 about your Black identity just really kind of grounded and cemented you and who you are from your experience at Howard, other than the fact that it is a historically Black college? But, um, you know, what, what was something that you – you really pulled away from all of those experiences that kind of just cemented your identity.
1: Yeah. What I pulled away from is that I'm enough, you know, that I'm enough. I always struggled when I was in, you know, the other um, schools, you know, was I smart enough? I was always in the AP classes. I was always ahead of my class, you know, valedictorian, everything, but I still struggled with, was I enough? And so I left Howard knowing that I was. I had answered that question. I was enough and that I could go out here and be a Black woman in, you know, my career of choice and be successful and not ever question because I was told a lot of people will continually question the higher you rise, they will challenge you and they will question you as to whether or not you're qualified. And That is the truest statement that, you know, a professor ever told me, you will forever be challenged because you have ambition, you want something out of your life, you want to help people, and people are going to always, you know, say, well, I don't know, are you qualified to be in this position? And to this day, I get questioned as to whether or not I'm qualified to be in this position, but I know within myself, I'm self-secured, you know, and I know and confident that yes, I'm absolutely, sometimes I'm overqualified and I let people know that, you know, I'm here because I want to be here. Um,
0: because really I'm
1: overqualified to be
0: here. 1,000%, 1,000%. And I'm glad that you shared that because Black students deal with that all the time. Um, they have a chip on their shoulder, um, and they feel like as hard as they work, as many accolades as they achieve, they get into the school of their choice and yet they can get here and still feel like maybe I don't belong for whatever reason. Right. Um, And that constantly being challenged. And so being able to be secure within yourself and confident in who you are as a black person, it goes such a long way because it's it's never going to stop. Um, and it's all about self-advocacy, right? And being able to advocate for yourself, whether you're a student, a professional, or just somebody out on the street walking, right? Um, you have to be able to stand up for yourself in that confidence because these systems are going to try and take that away from you. So I thank you for sharing that because I think that will resonate with a lot of our students. So really quickly, can you just explain to us how you came to be here at UCR?
1: Yeah, so I have, um, for the most of my career, I've been in a hospital or clinic setting. And it's been great, it's been absolutely wonderful. And then I transitioned and worked in the nonprofit um, sector for a while. Never, ever, ever saw myself in academia. Like I just didn't feel like there was a place for me here. And um, so I was happy, you know, happy in the, like I said, the, the medical hospital realm, happy in the nonprofit realm, and this opportunity presented itself for me to come to academia. And I can tell you, um, never say never, <laughs> because this has been the, the most enriching um, experience in my career, because I feel like I have the best of all of, you know, all of the worlds combined. I truly am able to make um, an impact and a difference, not only in the educational side of, um, you know, life, but also, you know, in the community, in the medical um, sector. So I feel like this is this is the best, you know, culmination of of all of my talents and skills being able to be utilized in my role as a deputy director for the Center for Healthy Communities. I always want to be, you know, boots on the ground. I never want to be in a position where my title may say that I'm in a position where, you know, I'm kind of like up here in the ivory tower. But I never wanted to actually be, you know, you know what I mean? In the ivory tower. I never wanted to be far removed from the community and the people. And this position allows me to be amongst the people to really have conversations, real conversations, um, in-depth conversations, sometimes conversations that are hard to hear. But I need to hear because if we're really trying to improve the health outcomes of our Inland Empire communities, I need to hear what's working, what's not working, and how we can work together to improve um, those things so that everyone has access, that there are no um, social um, inequitable barriers that are creating people from living, like I said, their healthiest life.
0: Yeah, I I love that you talk you mentioned about remaining on the ground, right? Or firmly planted in reality. And, you know, we being here at UCR in the UC system, we know UC loves their fancy titles, assistant vice director, chancellor provost of this, that, and the third. And it can be intimidating uh, for students in particular to go out for resources if they know that you have seven words in your title. Um, and again, just kind of going back to that aspect Just like your professor told you, the higher you climb, the more challenges you're going to face. But inevitably, that climb, it tries to pull you away from the ground. It tries to pull you away from the community and it tries to get you to not center yourself in the work that you're doing. And so going back to this concept of racism being a public health crisis, right, racism is experienced from the womb to the tomb, like there's tons of research that indicate what the mother experiences as far as like racial battle fatigue and everything else transfers into their young ones. So at birth, black children already have an experience with racism, whether conscious or not. So we have, in my opinion, a vested interest in this whole idea of what public health means as black people. So one thing I also want to do is in order to provide students with with gateways and opportunities to resources, Are there ways that students can get involved with the work that you're doing um, in the Center for Healthy Communities? Um, And if so, talk to us about some of the ways that students can get involved, whether it's at an undergrad level or an exclusive to them being in the School of Medicine. But how can students, especially black students, get engaged with this topic of public health and improve their communities?
1: Absolutely. So the Center for Healthy Communities, I'm always looking for interns, um, those that can come in and, and want to be out in the community and want to see what public health looks like. You know, people have their concepts or their ideas about it. But when you actually have to go out and talk to people, you know, people think that's the easy thing. But when you're talking to them, especially about, you know, their concerns and their and their needs and their issues, and then you're talking in the... Um, context of research, you know, there's a lot of historical trauma in communities of color as it relates to research. So when I first started and I would say that, I instantly get, you know, people would kind of like repel from me, like, why would you, you know, why would you be the face in the, you know, the voice for encouraging us to be a part of research? And so I had to help them understand, no, I'm asking you to be a part of, it's not like your grandfather's research. This is a new day. I need your voice because our voices have not been um, included in these conversations. People are having conversations about new vaccines, new testing trials, and our voice is not included in that. So they're doing things to us instead of us being a part of and affecting change and creating the narrative as to how information will be disseminated out into our communities or Um, you know things will be tested on us or not on us you know so I would love 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 for the students to come and engage me and you know be an intern and learn like what public health looks like and Broaden their skills, and then also be a part of some of the research projects that are happening on campus. There's a lot of opportunities that I've presented, that other researchers, you know, have presented, where you can go, and it's it's as easy as taking a survey or participating in a focus group. You know, it's not necessarily something invasive because a lot of people you think they think research they think it's something invasive, but no, it's lending your voice, lending your perspective, your lived experience, your time, and talents. To, you know, creating a narrative because there's just not a lot. Honestly, there's not a lot of data for blacks. You know, there's not a lot of data on our health issues or how we really feel or how we we tend to move about and access certain services. And I think that's because we run away from that. We don't, you know run towards it and embrace it and make sure that we are a part of the conversation.
0: Absolutely. And it's about breaking down those barriers and just like you said this is not your your grandfather's research meaning you're not we're not we're not recruiting or engaging with you to experiment on you as we have been historically. Um but actually trying to engage to create better outcomes that are based on what you're telling us. We're not coming in with any grandiose feelings of savior or nothing. Nope, we're not Notions,
1: here. nothing. We, we need to hear. We need yep. that information. And we need, you know, and especially from, oh, my goodness, if the students would come call me. I'm sure Dominique will give you my contact information.
0: We're going to put all that in the description. The <laughs> you know, address, the I, I would
1: number. love, 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 like I said, for them to, to you know, lend their voices and be a part of these conversations. And so we can, yeah, start creating programs and interventions that are culturally um, appropriate so that we we can live healthier. Yeah. We have access to live healthier.
0: Beautiful. So I, I we're coming up on the end of our time. I do have two more questions. One question that I actually kind of just thought of right now. This whole idea of engaging with the community, culturally relevant language, being able to speak to people at their level. Um, Can you, from I guess, just from your standpoint in working in public health and the work that you do, can you talk about how important the humanities are in the field of medicine? I think there's sometimes a struggle with students They just think I need to go to bio. I need to go to chem. I need to go to this, that and the third. And they don't. They totally push the humanities to the wayside. And then they become they're 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 talented, they're capable and they become a doctor and they get a black patient and they don't know how to explain to that black patient what's going on with them in a way that's going to make that patient feel comfortable And I try to encourage students that are medically minded that do have passions for that, that you can still get there even through the humanities or at least at the very least still expose yourself to the humanities very, very quickly. Can you just kind of blow that point up a little bit?
1: Yes, definitely. So we need our um, sociologists. We need our psychologists. You know, we need those from like you said, from the humanities. We need you to um be you know engaged in the community you learn so much in those um different you know aspects and those different schools you learn how to talk to people you know once again people think that oh that's you know it's it's so easy for you to go out and talk to people no it's not (laughs) it is not easy to engage people so you learn you know about in in sociology, you learned about the social factors that play into people you know and their makeup and how they move about you know and experience the world. We need people to expand you know their horizons and understand that you know everything is not black and white. there's so much gray and so many different variables that play into people's experiences, so you need to be able to have that level of um, I guess just consciousness. To be able to go and talk to people and meet them where they're at and say, I don't know. You know, I think I know, but I don't know. So I need you to tell me. You be the expert and you tell me. And that's what I I do. I don't go out, you know, like with with the title or whatnot. I don't care about that. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to be relatable. I want to go to people and say, you know, this is what I think is going on, but tell me, am I on the mark? Am I off the mark? And please know that I won't be offended or anything because I need to hear from you. I want to learn, you know, so it's a co-learning type of situation. We learn from each other. I go out and I share the wealth of expertise and knowledge that's you know, on the campus of UCR. And then I say, this is what we have to offer to the community. Now tell us what we can learn from you. What do we need to know in order to be able to translate this expertise and actually put it to good use? Yeah. And yeah. once again, create positive, improved health outcomes for our IE community members.
0: Absolutely. So I, and I just wanted to touch on that because it's so important and in tying that all into this holistic approach if you're lacking or or just flat out missing that humanity component into your education or just adding that humanity context into all of this science and medicine, um, you know, you're not going to be able to serve people to the best of your abilities without some of those, you know, those, key, you know key understandings. Yeah, so- you
1: have to go out and be your authentic self, you know. Yeah. With no, you know, like I said, no preconceived notions, no agenda, just go out and talk to people. And and like you said, the science and great, it's great to have that behind you in your, you know, your toolbox, but you need to be relatable. You need to be able to have social, you know, etiquette where you can have a conversation with people and really be able to um, empathize with them and understand and hear their stories.
0: 1000%. So last question um, might be a little bit of a big question, but it's just our black optimism segment, right? So um, when you think about the future generations of black scholars that are gonna come through UCR, what is one of your most optimistic visions of the future for them? And you can put that in the context of the work that you're doing as well.
1: My vision is that they will have an equitable um, playing field that when they arrive on this campus, that the environment will be one of um, full support that will cultivate and enrich their talents that they bring to the table and that they too will leave knowing that they are enough and they can go out into their careers and just be as successful, you know, as they had envisioned that they would be um, because they received the, not only the a, a wonderful education at UCR, but like I said, the support and um, the understanding and appreciation for the talents and skills that they bring to the table. Yeah. I want them all to, like I said, feel like this is, you know, this is a great place for me to be. It taught me a lot of things. It helped develop me as a person, and um, they leave here knowing that they're enough and that they can do anything that they um, put their minds to.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Well. Thank you so much, Um, Michelle Burroughs. Thank you so much for being here on the Blue, Gold and Black podcast. We're definitely going to have to have you back on in the future so we can keep pushing this public health conversation forward. Um, We're super happy to amplify your voice today. So thank you so much. Thank you. For sure. All right, everyone, we'll catch you next time on the Blue, Gold and Black podcast. Catch y'all later. Thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. This program is produced by the Community Engagement and Outreach Unit of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of California, Riverside. Learn more about attending UCR by visiting admissions.ucr.edu. And be sure to check out the description for other useful links and resources. Help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing. And be sure to check out our podcast videos on YouTube. Catch you guys later.